Welcome to the latest edition of the Carmichael Governance Podcast. I'm Dermot O'Carbui, CEO of Carmichael. Carmichael is a charity that provides supports to other Irish charities, particularly in the area of governance. You can find details of what we do and a wide range of free resources on our website at carmichaelireland.ie. You can also find previous editions of our governance podcast on our website or on your favourite podcast platform, be that SoundCloud, Apple, Spotify, Acast. Today I'm speaking to David Duffy, co-founder and CEO of the Corporate Governance Institute about succession planning. I'm delighted to have David here. David and I uh, go back a long way. We've been colleagues for many, many years. I was just looking back, it's over 30 years that we know each other. So I'm especially delighted to have David here. And we're going, as I say, going to talk about the whole area of succession planning and its importance for board governance. So maybe, David, we might start off, if you could introduce yourself and maybe tell us a little bit about CGI. Well, thank you for inviting me along here today. Um, I'm delighted to be in Carmichael Centre with my former colleague, Dermot, who is also a faculty member of the Corporate Governance Institute. And uh, I took the risk two and a half years ago to become a faculty member. So we're probably the first online provider of education programs for directors in the world. We currently have a diploma in corporate governance and a diploma in ESG. And we're currently modularizing those and selling them separately and we currently are operating in 51 countries including outer mongolia would you believe that is is a fantastic achievement and it it just shows sort of the the level of interests out there for people to upskill themselves and be more au fait with the whole area of governance given the critical importance of uh, that knowledge particularly if you sit on the board so we might just dive straight into this topic for we're going to talk today which is the whole area of succession planning so what is usually covered when we talk about succession planning in the governance context? Well, there's probably three levels. The first level is at board level, and then committee level, and then executive level. And there's probably a similar approach to both the boards and committees, but uh, at executive level, it's probably a slightly different approach. Okay. So we might just dive into each of those areas first, but before... Where does the whole area of diversity on the board fit into the succession planning? Is it, is it, a, is it a consideration, or is it a separate exercise? Well, the first place I would go to in considering who should be around the boardroom table is what is the strategy of the organisation? Because I think that's going to determine uh, the skills and experience and the diversity you need around the boardroom table. So it shouldn't just be diversity for diversity's sake. And of course, diversity can mean anything. It can be gender, ethnicity, age. And I always say if Warren Buffett passed our doorstep uh, tomorrow and he's 92, we, we take him on board. So that's, that's an age thing. Um, diversity is um, imperative. I mean, diverse boards make better decisions, and there's lots of evidence to back that up uh, from McKinsey's and others. I've been on boards where diversity has been a huge plus in, in organizations, and uh, uh, I think, you know, in terms of recruitment, um, one needs to define what that diversity is for that board in, a, in, in, in an appropriate manner. Smiling there, you're talking about Warren Buffett as an example of sort of, you know, the skill set he would bring to the board. But I just heard something about one of his own board that he has somebody on the board since 1978 and is at the ripe old age of 97. So I think that would raise into sort of the, the other questions about um, board tenure and things like that. So, that, you know, uh, maybe Warren himself and his own governance may not be the best example uh, of good, good, good practice. We're looking at um, succession planning. Why is it such an important area and, and, and should be sort of foremost in the board mind when they're, when they're planning the year out? So I think succession planning uh, goes beyond, beyond the year. And, of course, it's been influenced a lot by regulation. Um, you know, if you go back 20 years, um, most boards in the UK and Ireland, you know, regulation wasn't a big thing. And as you know, 
I published the first book in 2004, 2006 or 2004 in Ireland on corporate governance. Of course, nobody bought it because there wasn't really a market for it and we had to give it away. And we gave, we gave it away quite successfully, I think. Um, but thankfully, the Institute of Chartered Accountants have published a few more. And I'm launching another book next year, also published by the Institute of Chartered Accountants, uh, which is called A Practical Guide to Corporate Governance. So at board level, um, one needs to take into account, uh, well, you know, what, to what extent um, people have uh, left to their terms. Uh, is this regulated or not? But whether it's regulated or not, you need fresh air in the boardroom. And again, I come back to the strategy. What skills do you need around the table? Because you may say, well, we're going to go on a digital transformation program, but that's two or three years out. So you might decide, well, we don't need that person now, but we need to start looking for them. The analogy I use for boards is that, you know, if you're a Champions League football team and you're only getting to the last 16 at the moment um, and you want to get to the semi-final, the final, well, you might need a striker or you might need a better midfielder. And a board is no different. You need to think what strengths we need around the boardroom table. So it could be finance, it could be legal, it could be sector, like the charity sector. Uh, indeed, it could be, you know, do we, know, do we have somebody who knows a lot about digitization, which, of course, post-COVID uh, is um, a driving force in organizations to go from being, you know, offline to online or a combination of both. I like the idea of, of the heart of the, the whole succession planning is built around the strategy, where you're going. How are we going to get there? And do we have the people around the table to help us get there? Um, so do you, do you start by looking at who's around the table currently and assess um, the, the, the strengths and weaknesses? Or how, how do you go about sort of identifying it is a striker rather than a defender that we need to take us to the next level? Well, you take stock of what skills you have at the moment and you probably you know develop a, a grid. And uh, that can take some time because... Um, trying to identify those skills around the boardroom table. It mightn't just be enough to look at the bios on their website or their CVs because they might not document their experience. So understanding that can take some time. You know, you can send out a document, get them to fill in the blanks, but then you need to interview them to see, you know, what your bench strength looks like. And then you go to the strategy and figure out what skills do we need in the future and then what's the gap. And the gap really is uh, the recruitment recruits you need around the boardroom table. So it's an exercise like that. And it's also so. It is quite a sensitive exercise um, because you're, in effect, asking people to say, "Am I up to the job?" Or somebody has to make that call. So, who should lead out in this process, and what kind of supports do you think they would need to do this, do it right, rather than do it as a tick box exercise? Well, I think um, board evaluations and individual evaluations um, would be one approach. And individual evaluations are probably not as common in the charity sector, but uh, I've been involved in one or two where they've done 360 reviews of individuals to make it more apparent um, in a very transparent way who uh, is required for the future in the nicest possible way. And, of course, it has to be handled sensitively. And also terms that come into account there because, you know, if somebody's coming up to their nine years on a regulated board and charities, well, then they, they should be kind of stepping off the board. Um, so that that's one way of doing it. Yeah, and I think going back to the term, you know, it is in the Governor's Code a recommended practice it isn't there isn't a set thing but i think that whole process of you know how do you get people that have outlived their usefulness off the board and if you do take it as the government code best practice say we put in terms does that provide an opening because a lot of times you say there's no movement so therefore you may have gaps but if nobody's stepping aside what 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 do you do i think one way is through education 
and you know shining a light on a a board or a sector to say look these are the current skills in the sector they brought a board or uh, to a certain point but these are skills for the future and then some of those people on the boardroom table are saying well that's not me you know I'm I'm 60 I could be male or female um, and really I'm not going to bring you know a great digital expertise to the board or cyber security but there may be out there people out there who could do that but probably not I mean I wasn't born on the internet and neither were you so some of these things are challenging for us as individuals. So I think it's shining a light on the skills in, 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 in an appropriate manner and probably having a degree of honesty around the boardroom table and trying to get people to say, look, you know, I, I should probably stand down because there's a certain skill set based on strategy I just don't have. You know, if you, if you take a, uh, uh, ESG, which has now you know, hit, hit many organizations uh, and sectors like a tsunami, there's people there realizing, boy, that's a, that's a different world. And of course... You know, on any board now, whether it's a charity or, or a state board or a sporting body, um, in the past you had the Companies Act and the Charities Act for Charities, and now there's ESG. So the, the lens that people now need to look through on a board is much, much wider. I mean, it's staggering, the degree of responsibility now that they have. And they need to be able to demonstrate that they're doing the right thing. So I do, as you know, board evaluations, as you do too. If I mention ESG to quite a few people they've no idea what i'm talking about you might even just start but what, what does esg stand for well if i was explaining this to my mother who's uh, who's, who's been gone for some years the e it means the environment and basically your organization should do no harm to the environment and hopefully you enhance it in some shape or form the s is to do with people and employees and staff and ideally you do no harm to them and you and you enhance their lives as well and of course the g is making sure that's the bedrock of governance and without good governance, the E and the S is going to be hard to happen. So that's how I would explain it to people. Very good. Very good. And as you said, you know, governance has really come to the forefront and, and there's been a number of reasons for it. Some of it driven by spectacular governance failures where yeah. a lot of damage was done by bad actions and bad actors. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think part of that is recognising that now, particularly in the charity sector, you have a charity regulator that is becoming more and more active in looking at the governance of organisations and you're getting people that are asking questions about the effectiveness of the, the, the board. So I think that's an important sort of stimulus for, for boards to start looking around and say, OK, who have we got around the table? When is the time? Because again, in particularly in the charity sector, there can be a lot of emotion tied up to people have got involved because they're passionate about a particular cause. Um, so I think using this as a lever to say, well, look, we do need to be the best possible board we can to be able to deliver the, the range of requirements in terms of a governance practice, but also delivering for our, our beneficiaries. So who leads on that process? Is, it, is this something that this is on the, on the shoulders of the board chairperson or are there other ways to, that you would recommend to sort of to look at the whole task of succession planning for the board? I think there's a number of ways you can do it. Um, certainly at board level, it is the chair. Um, large organisations might have the nominations committee um, or it might be just a few members of the board who there isn't the formality of a nominations committee. So it's their job um, to figure out uh, um, the recruitment process for uh, the new directors. I actually think the nominations committee, if there is one, is the most important committee in any board because if you're not getting good people on the board, um, the organisation will slowly just go down, down the tubes. I call it the Talent Acquisition Committee. Uh, nominations are a bit formal, probably a bit archaic, um, but it's really their job to make sure there's a process in place. And I come across, um, you know, 
boards every now and again where suddenly you know a chair appears from within the board and some of the board members have no idea how that person became the chair so the process must be transparent obviously the sensitivity as well uh, because if a nominations committee is bringing somebody to a board they need to make sure that they've gone through due process in terms of selection uh, and um, their names don't get out in the public domain just in case um, the board decides it's not for them so having clear terms of reference for the nominations committee is imperative uh, obviously um, if the people on that committee are um, available to become chairs, they can't be part of that. They should st- stand down. Um, but formality is, is important and clarity of process and transparency is important. But the chair, I mean, at the end of the day, the chair is responsible for the governance of the organisation. So it's their, it's their job. There is a mechanism. And I know a lot of the charities and non-profits who are, would may not necessarily have a dedicated nominations committee, but it is, should be part of some committee of the board that looks at that whole uh, area and uh, I'm just thinking in our own area we have fixed terms um, but mapping out where where, you know a few years out suddenly the big shock came to me and suddenly we're going to lose quite a number of our board over a two three year period and all our committee chairs and our board chairperson will be gone in 2024 so we started out back last year sort of a three-year plan of how do we address that and 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 how do we bring in new board members that the in time that when we lose experienced ones that we have people maybe two three years in so it is an important thing that you look at on a regular basis because suddenly you could find half your board gone and in a short period of time and that has an impact in terms of so i think any chair or the cosec or some board member you might have a governance committee which could include nominations need to uh, be on top of uh, the terms and just map it out in the gantt chart I mean, if you go into the charities register, you see actually the directors there and you see how many years they've served. And it's quite clear that um, some organisations there will have challenges. But you need to be plotting that, as we said earlier on, against their strategy and what skills they're going to need. Because uh, some skills will be in demand and hard to get. I mean, getting directors with uh, digitization skills ain't easy. Or, or ESG, not easy. Um, and the big challenge then for organisations will be, well, how do we get these people? How do we find them? And of course, there's board match. Um, and there's other organisations like that. But I always think the two best tools you can have, actually, to try and find new directors is, one, have a a strategy for the organisation that they believe in and that's realistic, and they have a passion about the mission of the organisation. Secondly, the governance uh, is good. Who's going to join a board that doesn't have good governance? And if they do, they might be at risk. And a lot of people who give the charity sector... You know, the professionals, the business people, the volunteers, they don't want to sully their reputation by going on boards that could go belly up in a couple of months' time or a couple of years' time. So due diligence is a critical part of the process. Yeah, absolutely, and I think it touches on an important point I want to explore in terms of recruitment. Before before we go into board recruitment as part of that, the, the process, I think what the message I'm told is, which we would say today is for is to try to depersonalise the process in, in terms of linking it to the strategy, the needs of the organisation, the direction of the organisation, the skills we need, and then say, OK, it's not about you, it's about the needs of the organisation. So it's trying to take the individual out of, of that planning process. The other thing I do like is, is that, that the clarity around when you go looking for new board members, that you need to have that clarity, well, why would I join your board? Um, and we do hear this quite a bit that, you know, 
non-profit organisations and charity organisations may, may they say they struggle at times to get new board members. What would be your advice to them? You've, you've mentioned board match, but are, there are, other, are there other things they can do to help them to be better positioned in terms of making themselves more attractive to the right sorts of people that step forward? Well, I'd always suggest that uh, they have a good LinkedIn profile. Now, not everybody might have that, but you know, many people who do our diplomas, um, they always ask, well, where do I start? Uh, to become a, a, a director. Well, I, we always say try and find a, a sports body um, or uh, other voluntary bodies where they get on the boards. Um, but they need to do the homework first to make sure they're not ending up on a board that's a basket case. Uh, try and get a board that has a good brand, like Carmichael or Bernardo's, or where you know governance is ingrained in the organisation. Uh, so that's what we would say. And then uh, you know target um, if the the, the, the chair or the CEO, or if there's a nominations committee, just say, look, or the COSEC, look, I have an interest. And you might say, look, I don't have an interest in going on the board straight away, but I have a background in finance. Perhaps I could go into the finance committee uh, as just uh, a committee member, but not a board member. That gives the chance for the organisation to have a look at that individual. And likewise, the individual to say, am I comfortable with the values and the culture of this organisation? Because that matters probably more than anything before I go any further. So that's another way of doing it. Just the direct approach. And uh, I actually don't know how many people actually do that. And what we would encounter sometimes people said, "Come and get us." You know, they advertise we have a vacancy, mm. and and I I'm, I'm, I would say to them, think if you were recruiting a new CEO, mm. think about the planning that you would do for that role, mm. and then the sort of the promotion and trying to sell it. And when it, it's it's you're now talking about recruiting your. Your, your stewards, your governors of the organisation, and it's very, very lackadaisical sometimes. They don't even have a role specification. Yeah, so you need the job spec, you know, because uh, different directors, you want to bring on board of different roles. Now, they, they will have their role as a director under the Companies Act and under the Charities Act, which are well laid out, but they need to know the, the specific responsibilities and, and consequences if things don't go right for them, which, you know, can be substantial in some cases. Um, but I think if you're looking for certain skills, you should say that uh, around the boardroom table. You know, like I want somebody who understands fundraising, for example, in the charity sector, or I want to recruit somebody who understands sponsorship and all these sort of things, which are very specialist skills. But I think also it is a competitive process. Mm-hmm. There are lots of organisations looking for the right people, so you do need to think how do you put your best foot forward. We, we, you mentioned earlier on, and we didn't pick up, but in terms of the succession planning and the committees, how would you see that working into the overall process to sort of populating your committees? Well, again, you need to look at, you know, if you have a current set of committees there, you might have, you know, two or three. Uh, what terms are left for the committee chair and the individual members? And, you know, do we need to replace them uh, with the same or different? And I think the whole skills assessment process and developing a grid will help you to do that. Um, and you'll find gaps there. So I think the process is the same. Um, I think where it differs is at CEO level. You might expand on that one. How is the succession planning for CEO? So typically a CEO is a contract for uh, an indefinite period of time or it could be a fixed period of time. And depending on the scale of the organization, you know, there might only be one person who has the ability to be the CEO and those behind him or her aren't there. In larger organizations, I think the onus is on the board to ensure that uh, is there a potential successor? And the case may be there isn't. But is there um, somebody who could stand in as an interim CEO while they get a CEO? So you've got, a, you've got kind of those possibilities. Both are important. The, the, the 
having a clear idea of who your interim CEO might be, mm-hmm. and, and in what circumstances that might 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 happen. Because again, having personal experience of being chair of a, a non profit, we had a um, succession planning in theory where we said if the CEO had to step out for whatever reason, we would ask the head of finance to, to step into um, the role of interim CEO. And then the, the situation did arise where the CEO had to go out for at least six months for um, get an operation and treatment done. And we asked the finance, could you step in? First, she heard of it and said no. So suddenly a planning theory, and we hadn't sat down in the discussion. Now that's one of the learnings I've taken with me, um, is that you do need to take this and have those conversations. And, and it is difficult when you're talking about an incumbent CEO. Well, if you were not around, if you had foreverly under the bus, what would be the, the, the solution that you would and involve some of those other individuals? Yeah. And the other side of that in terms of the planning is if you do identify maybe some potential candidates internally, they may have some skills they need to develop. So you, don't, you need to sort of part of their development process, say, in the possibility that you may be able to step into the shoes, what can we do as a board and as an incumbent CEO, help you to, to be able to make that jump. Yeah. Um, and I think that can be a two, three-year process. Yeah, and it's the same at board levels. So, you know, if you want uh, to have somebody who could become the new chair, uh, you might well have people around the boardroom table who think they're great at being directors, but they may not be great at being chairs because it's a very different skill set. You know, chair is quite a lonely position. It's like being the CEO. And, uh, you know, you've nobody to talk to in confidence sometimes. So looking at the, um, the glide path for a C, uh, uh, somebody at, at, at executive level to become CEO or somebody at, as a non-exec to become chair, you need to figure out, well, do they need to have you know, support and training development? Like in being chair, how do I chair a meeting? And that's an area we see quite a bit is that boards are a bit, in, particularly in the charity sector, are a bit mean on investing in their own development as, as, as a a collective and as individuals and part of the succession planning say if we are identifying the potential chair if we have a vice chair what what are we doing to structurally help that person step up the role rather than just nominate them says you are the vice chair look and learn and then hopefully you'll p- pick it up uh, um, from the watching of it so uh, it is one that we would see needs to be more structured in, in in the approach to think about it what are the sort of skills they currently have? What are the things that would, would help them when they do take, take over the role of, of chair? Yeah, because some of the skills of being chair is, well, uh, you know, developing the annual board work plan for the year, uh, working with the co-sec and the CEO. How are you going to use board time during the year? Do you need more meetings, less meetings? And do we have the right committee structure in place? Do we need to change it? But more importantly, trying to figure out, I think, does the quality facilitation skills, for example, uh, how does that person get the best out of the talent around the boardroom table? How do they deal with dominant personalities? You know, because you can get chairs that don't have this experience, and the dominant personality becomes a problem, and they can get quite confrontational. Any board evaluation I do, I always ask, "Is there a dominant personality?" And generally, there is, <laughs> for better or for worse. Uh, and they, they can be good at what they do. They just you don't have a chair who can control them. We take it now. We have had. We've gone through the process, as you said. We've we've looked at our our strategy. We've aligned our needs as, as as skills for the type of people. We've put together a good recruitment campaign. We've got very good people on board. Maybe one or two, if, if it's a process. What what would you recommend then in terms of once you've got them signed up in terms of um, board induction and onboarding? What sort of sort of things that should you should be thinking about in that 
aspect of the succession planning cycle. I think the step before that. Um, so when they've said yes of an interest, I think there should be a, what I call pre-induction, and that's to uh, lay out, uh, you know, are you aware of your responsibilities before you say yes? Uh, and I've done some work with a very large voluntary organisation who are recruiting a new board, and I ran a workshop for um, six candidates uh, which, who had to go forward for election at their AGM. And this is a screening process by the organisation uh, to ensure that those who did go forward were very aware of the, their roles and responsibilities. And as a result of that kind of pre-induction, two withdrew. And that was healthy. And I think one will come back again, and the other person said, this is not for me. So when you get them on board in the induction, uh, most induction based on what I see is not done as well as it might be, uh, a bit like you know, continuing professional development, which is non-existent in most organizations. Uh, the induction is you know, laying out those responsibilities, getting to understand how the organization operates. So you know, for instance, you, if you become the chair of a post, well, go and work in a post office for a while, see, see what happens down in Kerry or whatever it might be. Um, if you work the chair of a hospital, see what happens in A and E. Uh, so you have a much better grasp of the questions that you can ask about what goes on the bowels of the organisation. I think that's really important. People on the board who aren't exposed to what happens in the organisation day to day, you know, they're at a huge disadvantage. And uh, you know, the people in the organisation want to see the board connected to the organisation. So obviously, you need to lay, lay out the role of responsibility on the Companies Act, the Charities Act, and the Labour Governance Code as well. But also encourage them to ask, you know, critical questions, you know, and challenging. Uh, for example, um, conflict of interest. We all, the people on the table may recognise, well, Mary there has a conflict of interest, um, but she's not bringing it to the table, and they, they all know that she has one. Well, it's the responsibility of the other directors to bring that onto the table, and they may not want to because Mary could be their best friend. So these sort of things need to be brought into the open as part of being a director. It's not a cushy ride like it was. 10 or 15 years ago, I think has changed dramatically, particularly with regulation, and pretty good regulation, I have to say, in the charity sector. And I think that oversight has been very, very important, but I think, as you say, it brings home that the, it's a big ask mm. for people to step on board, but it's a needed ask because without directors, without trustees, you cannot provide the the, the, the work of the, the fantastic work that the sector does. Mm. So it does, as you say, being prepared, the organisation itself being prepared and the individual being prepared to the best they can to be able to delivered best for the organisation. I'm just conscious now of our time here, so one last question for you, David, and this has been really, really insightful, but if there's somebody listening to this podcast in in an organisation that really doesn't have a formal succession plan or a process, what what would be your your, your advice and what are the top three things they should do in the next week or so in their organisation? Well, the first thing is to write down um, who's on the board and what is left of their terms so they know who has to if the charity should step down after nine years as you said they don't have to but it's good governance and assuming that they're adhering to good governance that's the first step the second step is to a skills audit of who is on the board and what what they have of those who will be there after a point in time where the others are leaving so what are the, the gap the gaps in terms of numbers and then thirdly what skills are not there by, by assessing um, the new skills required of, the, of their strategy, whatever that might be. So that's the gap. And then you need to figure out, you know, how do, how do you mind the gap, as they say, in the London Underground? How do, how do you fill that gap? The next. So it's a plan, skills audit, uh, having clarity on uh, the skills gap. 
Excellent. It's been fantastic. So thank you very much, David, for sharing your insights in, in a very important topic of governance that sometimes gets overlooked. And it's, as I say, it's planning to succeed. You do need to have a clear idea of who you're going to have in five years' time, potentially, around the table, or the types of people. You may not have the names, but the types of people that you're going to need to run your organisation. Just one final uh, uh, note. You know, if, if a charity was a PLC and they recruited a new chair and the share price went down, you know, that's something hasn't happened somewhere in terms of succession planning or they're bringing a new non-exec director on. I would say the same if there was, you know, a market for the shares of charities, it, it would be the same. So if you bring people on board, it should be enhancing their ability to do their job and help the organisation deliver on its mission. Thank you very much. My pleasure. Thank you for listening to our latest Carmichael Governance Podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. If you did, it would be of great benefit to us if you could give it a rating, as that helps to create greater awareness of these podcasts. So until the next time, Slán Gofól. Go